number 12 tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 12. I do hope you've had a great week thus far and excited about being back in church tonight. Uh, the last time, if you remember uh, in last week's message, the last time we left uh, Samuel, and I will ask this question, is it a little warm in here? Anybody else warm? Uh, everybody comfortable? All right, maybe it's just me, but that's all right. Uh, just I'm a little warm right now, but it's okay. Uh, but First uh, Samuel chapter 12, remember when we last left off, uh, all Israel heard bad news together. Uh, remember the beginning of chapter number 11, all Israel heard that Nahash and the king of Ammon and all of the Ammonites were coming against. And now all of that is behind them. And we see that Samuel gathers again all the people together all of them together, uh, to talk to them about the future. You know, they, they recommitted themselves at the end of chapter number 11, verse number 15. It says, all the people went to Gilgal. There they made sacrifice, or there they made Saul king before the Lord, the, uh, before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel again. Everybody, everybody together. And this was the national meeting. This is everybody together. And this is Samuel. When we get to chapter 12, he's getting ready to give his parting words. And he's giving his last thoughts. This is his last public speech that we see to the entire nation. Uh, we see him step on the scene a few times uh, to correct Saul. We see him step on to uh, anoint David the next king. We see him kind of hit or miss throughout. Uh, but this is his last public words to the entire nation. And this is still a long way away from his death. But at the same time, this is the last words that we have. This is what we would call his parting words. So when we think about how he gives them and what he says, we have to ask ourselves the question, if we had one last statement, if we had one last set of parting words, what would we say? Uh, what would we want to be remembered for? Uh, what would the words be that we would want people to take with them the rest of their lives and say, I remember what he said at the very end? And that is what we see Samuel get ready to share with the people. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto all Israel, there it is, all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you said unto me, and have made a king before you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, and whose ass have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore you. Verse 4, And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed talking about Saul, referring back, is witness this day that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. If you're taking notes tonight, you can write down number one, the departure. The departure. It would be easy for us to assume that Samuel is saying these things kind of to ride off into the sunset. Uh, but as we already mentioned, his time has not uh, yet come to an end. Uh, he's saying these things to kind of prepare the way, uh, kind of get things ready. Uh, it would also be easy to assume that uh, Samuel wanted the people to know that change was coming. Remember, uh, he tells them in verse number 1 that he did exactly what they wanted, 
But what they didn't fully comprehend is that he had done exactly what God wanted. Remember, uh, this anointed, this one who had been chosen to be the next king, was God's choice for this season. Uh, we see 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 16. God says to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people, Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry is coming to me. In chapter number 10 and verse 24, again, Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. Uh, this is God's choice. There is none like him among all the people. You had Samuel telling them, hey, look at him. You have Samuel up here on one side, and then you have Saul on the other side. You have both ends of the spectrum of leadership. Uh, you have one older man, and you have one younger man. And that was very obvious. Remember Samuel pointed out and said, I'm old and gray-headed. There's something about uh, this crown that looks a little different than Saul's crown. Uh, it's a little bit different there. And it may be, seem like the older is being replaced by the younger, but that's not what was happening. And, and I want to kind of illustrate that tonight if I can. All right, I'm going to ask Brother Harold if he'll come up for just for a minute and help me. And then uh, Brandon, you come up and help me if you will. And let me see here, uh, see if I can peg this just about right. Uh, brother Jeff, have you crossed over the 50 milestone yet? You have. Come on, brother. All right. Good. Good, good, good. And uh, we're not going to do anything dangerous, okay? All right. Brother Harold, I'll have you stand over there. And then Brother Jeff, I'm going to have you stand in between uh, Brother Harold and myself. All right. This is uh, pretty close, pretty close to four generations of men. Okay, uh, Brandon, how old are you? 27. 27. 40? 53. 53, all right. And we're fine, Brother Harold. Uh, the statesman, the statesman. And uh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> He's got a couple years on us. Uh, but l let me just kind of illustrate it this way. As Saul is on one end of the spectrum, uh, excuse me, as Samuel's on one end of the spectrum, Saul is on the other end of the spectrum. We know that Sa uh, Saul is a young man. He's taller than everybody else, right? Uh, but uh, he's young, he's good looking, he's full of life and energy. And then you have, that's right, perfectly, uh, Brandon. Uh, and then you have Samuel on the other side who is older and gray-headed, uh, who has seen a lot in his life. He's seen God use him. He's raised up sons. He's seen uh, God work through his ministry all of these years and uh, was raised in a, in a right way. But Samuel has seen generations come. And each generation that comes, each one does it a little bit differently. And it's easy for us to think, as Samuel is giving his parting words, it's easy for us to say, you know, he's just trying to pass the baton well. He's just trying to prepare the people well. He's just trying to let them know that, hey, just because Saul might look different, act different, be different, it's okay. But that's not what Samuel's trying to do. Samuel is trying to tell the people that, hey, just because I'm older doesn't mean that because he's younger that he's always going to be right. Just because I'm older doesn't make me better than the, former, than the new generation. Just because he's younger doesn't make him better than the older generation. He's trying to paint a picture here. And he's trying to show them that both of them have to work in harmony together. 
He's trying to tell them that there will be some guys who are in Saul's camp who are young and vibrant and full of life. But there will also be a part of the generation who is where Samuel is. But there will also be a part in between. And he's trying to show them that they will all have to work together. He's showing them the spectrum of everyone who will fall in line in Saul's kingdom. But here's the thing. Samuel and Saul are on the same stage. Samuel and Saul are hearing, uh, Saul is hearing this message. So it's not just a message for the people, it's also a message for Saul. It's a reminder for Saul, you're going to have to work with everybody. You're going to have to make sure that everybody is unified together. You're going to have to make sure that everybody knows how to work together. And there's a temptation in our churches today that just because this guy is young, that we don't care about those guys. Or just because this guy is old, he has all the answers. There's a temptation there to lean to one direction or the other. But the goal and purpose of the church is unity. Yes? The, uni- the goal of the church is to be unified together. It might be different. This guy, each one of these generations has seen ministry a different way. Brother Harold's uh, generation has seen ministry from a different scope than this, sca- this end of the scale. Brother Jeff has seen ministry different than Brandon ever will. And that's okay. That, see, there's people in this group of generations, whether it's on Brother Harold's end or Brother Brandon's end, that are still passionate about the Bible, who still love Jesus, who desire for, uh, to be a part of what God is doing, and to see God use our lives in a special way. See, whether you're older or younger in God's kingdom doesn't really matter. It comes down to, are you following the plan that God has laid out in front of us? Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. Thank you for your help. Here's where we are. Yeah, you can clap for them. Thank you for your time. Instead of a new order coming, Samuel is trying to reinforce the past while looking to God for the future. He's trying to teach the people here at this time period, this handoff, this transition, that they have to stay together. And we see that in the next few verses. But before Samuel does that, he wants to make sure that everything is right. He wants to make sure that he has settled every account, every debt that he's ever had before he goes off the scene. Now here's the thing. Samuel knew that he was settled up. He knew that he had already made sure that everything was accounted for. And it's a good reminder for us, when we live in such a way that we're always ready to give an account, we'll never be afraid. When we live in such a way that we're always ready to give an account, we'll never be afraid to give an account. Samuel knew that as the chapter of his ministry was coming to an end, that he wanted to settle all of these things that were outstanding. And there is coming a day where we will stand before the Lord and we have to give an account. We see that in the scripture, but what will that day look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Everything we do will be passed through the, the trial, this fire uh, that's going to be uh, seen, and we, what comes out on the other end will be our reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
I like what Randy Alcorn said. It won't be on the screen, but it's in your handout tonight. It says, in the day that we stand before our master and maker, it will not matter how many people on earth knew our name, how many called us great, and how many considered us fools. It will not matter whether schools and hospitals were named after us, whether our state was large or small, whether our funeral drew 10,000 or no one. It will not matter what the newspapers or history books said or didn't say. What will matter is one thing and one thing only, and that is what the master thinks of us. At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, there is only one person that we're going to stand before. It's not the pastor. It's not our family. It's Jesus. And we'll stand before him, and we have to give an account to him. And at the end of our lives, the only thing that matters is what does he think of us? But what are we doing to get ready for that encounter? Are we ready? Are we living our lives in such a way that if it happened tonight, we're ready for that encounter? Samuel told him that the old style of leadership had worked well, but it was because of a major point that they all could hold on to. Not only do we see the, uh, the departure, number two, we see the deliverance. Look at verse number six. The people have already spoken and said, hey, uh, Samuel, you don't owe us anything. We don't owe you anything. Everything's good. We're settled up. And Samuel goes into a history lesson. He starts sharing with them a story. And I, I want to kind of run through these next few verses uh, kind of quickly because I want to show a pattern. Look at verse number six. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses. Verse 6, And that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 7, Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. Verse 8, Your fathers cried unto the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. Verse 9, And when they forgot the Lord. Verse 10, And they cried unto the Lord. We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. Verse 11, And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah. Verse 12, When the Lord your God was king. Verse 13, Now therefore behold the king whom you have chosen, you have desired. Behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. His, this common denominator throughout this entire passage, throughout this entire history lesson was the Lord. The faces and the names change and are interchangeable, yet the Lord stayed the same. They cried unto the Lord. He heard them. He blessed them. But when they turned their back on him, the results were disastrous. Everything came back to their relationship with him. It's no different today. Everything in our lives comes back to our relationship with the Lord. Everything we do comes back to Him. When we honor Him, He blesses us. When we turn from Him, there are consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We've learned really well how to look good on Sunday and live how we want throughout the rest of the week. See, the problem is that God sees us 24-7. He knows our inconsistencies, our flaws, our failures. And He knows whether or not we're sincere. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, both ends of the spectrum. And this wasn't a history lesson so much, it was a subtle rebuke 
of the people. This was, they had the Lord as their leader and they turned their back on him for someone else. They had wandered in the wilderness. They watched, God watched over them in Egypt. God fought for them in the promised land and they turned from him. He even referenced the most, uh, the most familiar point when he talked about how that God had spared them from Nahash. In, uh, let's see, in uh, verse number uh, uh, let's see, verse number 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. He said, you had God. You could have cried out to him. Remember last week we talked about the fact that they didn't go to the Lord. They came to Gilgal. They came looking for other people. They came looking for Saul. They had already forgotten that God was their leader. And they were looking for king and then he contrasts that in verse number 13 and he says behold the Lord hath set a king over you you know this could be a a, looked at as a criticism of Saul or a reminder of what they lost remember Saul was tall good-looking but he was not the replacement for the Lord he was not the replacement and he ends the thought with this phrase the Lord set a king over you. See, Samuel told them in chapter number 11 what it would cost, or excuse me, chapter number 8, verse 11 through 18, what it would cost them. Remember, he said, your sons are going to be taken, put into battle. Your daughters will be taken, put into confectionaries and bakers. And you're going to lose your fields and your vineyards and your flocks, your servants. And even then, they still wanted Saul. See, he was a cheap substitute for the one that they needed. And how often is that us? See, when we know that the Lord desires a daily routine, a daily walk with us, and we sub that out for church on Sunday, or for Christian music on the way to work, or for a small group on Sunday, or serving in a ministry, we substitute what God desires for us to have an active, growing, thriving relationship with Him for a cheap substitute. We sub that out. When we already know what God wants from us. We already know. Remember, uh, James said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is what? Sin. We know that God wants a relationship with us. And serving is not the same as sitting. We know the story in Luke chapter number 10 of Mary and Martha. And how that Martha was having a conniption. That Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Imagine that. Somebody was upset when they saw someone sitting and listening to Jesus speak. Somebody was upset. And remember, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. The Greek word for needful is kria, and it means necessary. Necessary. There's only one thing. Martha, there's only one thing that's necessary. And what you're doing is not necessary. Jesus just looked at a woman and said, you don't need to be serving, it's not necessary. Why? Because the most important thing is sitting and hearing what he has to say to us first. Because service comes out of sitting. Service is an outflow of sitting. 
when I sit and I hear what he has for me, when I take time to spend that time with the Lord, I have a desire to serve him. It flows out of. So what does it mean when I'm not sitting yet I'm serving? I'm doing it in the flesh. If we're serving and operating in the flesh, what does the Bible say? He that's in the flesh cannot please God. If I'm not sitting yet I'm serving, I'm not doing it with God's blessing. When I'm serving and not sitting, I'm not doing it with God's blessing. We see, uh, number three, we see the directive. Remember, Mary looked at the options, chose what was best, just like we do. We need to look at our options, choose what's best, choose the one, one, him that's best. The directive, Samuel lays out the problem and then gives them the solution. Uh, anybody get frustrated when people say, man, I want to tell you of a problem. Well, if that's, hey, thank you for sharing with me. How would we fix that? I don't know. And then they walk off. That's so frustrating. <laughs> Here's a problem. Deal with it, you know. Uh, but he didn't leave them hanging. It was, it was no good for them to hear the problem without an answer. And they needed it. And we need it. What was the answer? Verse 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now think about this. Samuel broke it down to where it was very simple. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. I know that you have a king. I know that you've got a leader. I know that you've got someone who you can see that you want. But the most important thing you can do is follow the Lord. And it's still the same thing for us. The most important thing we can do is follow the Lord. The most important thing we can do is honor Him. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter number 12 and verse 30? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. It starts with loving Him most. Most. Seek ye first the most. David said, early will I seek thee the most, the most priority. And when I love him more, I love me less. When I choose to love him more, I have, remember Sunday, Jesus or me, the barrels walked out of here uh, right before church. Uh, Jesus or me, you're going to love one. You're going to honor one in your lifetime. Is it going to be Jesus or me? Uh, the Puritan preacher John Flavel said, they that know God will be humble and they that know themselves cannot be proud. They that know God will be humble and they that know themselves cannot be proud. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. How do you view yourself? When you look in the mirror, are you impressed with you? Man, God sure is lucky to have me. Man, God, didn't you get, just get something awesome when you redeemed me? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me because you sure got a bargain. You know, that's not how we're supposed to see ourselves. Uh, we need to look at ourselves like Paul looked at himself. Hey, uh, sinners, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, that's how we should see humility, humble. Uh, Saul needed to keep his priorities in check. Remember in verse number 14, uh, Samuel singled him out. 
He said, hey guys, if you're going to obey the Lord and follow his commandments, you and your king both pointed him out. And just because Saul was the king didn't mean that he was in charge. You know, we might have a big title, but that doesn't mean we're in charge. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. Paul said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. See, we need to be humble while also praying that our leaders will be the same. Samuel shows them a sign in verse number 16. He says, now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do. It was another reminder of who was in charge. Verse 17, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that we may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. Now, Samuel is asking a very simple question. Hey, it's, is it harvest? Are we supposed to be harvesting, or is it, are we in that season of waiting for rain? He said, I'm going to pray down rain and thunder, and you're going to know that God is displeased. Now, talk is cheap. You think about Samuel saying, oh, people watching Samuel speak, a big deal. They had never seen anything like that before. But what happens? Look at verse 18. So Samuel called on the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain. He asks, and God delivers. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Verse 19, and all the people said unto Samuel, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. Hey, don't let us die, Samuel. Save us. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. Hey, that young guy up there, that tall, good-looking guy, we don't want him. That's essentially what they're saying. We made a mistake. We never should have asked for Saul. And he asked Samuel to pray for him. You know, their response, pray for us. Because we were wrong. Renewal always begins with repentance. This whole chapter is all about renewal, spiritual renewal. They recommitted to a king at the end of chapter number 11. And Samuel said, let's do it the right way. If you're going to have a king, have the right spirit. If you're going to have a leader, have the right humility about you. They had been challenged and convicted, and now they were changed. And when God shows that you and I are wrong, and we open his word or we hear a message and it points out something in our life that's wrong, how do we respond? Do we respond with conviction and change? Or do we respond with apathy and no change? Oh, sure, I'm glad that, uh, Pastor, you preached that message because I know somebody on the other side of the room needed to hear it. I know what they're going through. I know that they needed that. And I sure hope they get right with God. That needs to be our attitude. What is God trying to say to me? What is God trying to show me? How do we respond? And then he closes with the danger. Look at verse 20. The danger. Can you imagine? Remember, Samuel's up here preaching up a storm. And there's still another guy on the other side of the stage. In a state of awkwardness. The message is all about Saul. All about you shouldn't have asked for him. That's the whole message. You should never have asked for a king. And Saul's standing right there. How much more awkward can this get? Verse 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. 
For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Samuel gives a promise and a prediction. He says, God will always be your God. He will always stand by his people. But here's the prediction. God will not honor you if you forsake him. God will not. He will always claim you as his people. You will always be his. But that doesn't mean that he has to honor you. In our lives today, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, nothing can sever that bond. It's just like your children. You can tell them anything in the world, but nothing will ever change the fact that they're yours. They're your child. They're yours. Nothing can sever that bond. Nothing can change that. But something can happen to break that fellowship that you have. You know, they make a mistake or they say something they shouldn't. You correct them and they get all upset. That fellowship is broken. But it changes when they come back in their sorrow, godly sorrow, worketh repentance. When they come back and say, I'm sorry, that fellowship is restored. But until then, it's awkward. It's tense. There's tension in the room. There's that strain. You know that something's not right. And that's what Samuel is promising if they turn from God. Hey, the relationship will not be right. God will still claim you as his own. You'll still belong to him, but the relationship will be all wrong. It'll be wrong while you're not right. He told them the key in verse number 24. He says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. The key for us honoring the Lord, the key to us honoring the Lord is to keep us, is to keep before us the blessings of the Lord. The key for us to honor the Lord in our lives is to be constantly reminded of his goodness to us. Over and over, we talk about, well, God. You know, will you please bless this? God, will you please answer this prayer? God, will you please do this? But how often do we thank Him for the things that He's done for us? How often do we stop and remember what He's done? Remember where we were when He found us. Uh, Where we were, uh, what we were like back then. The old song, if you had known me before I met Jesus, you would understand why I love Him. If When's the last time that you went back to your prayer journal of the things that you've written down to pray for that God has answered and thanked Him for those answered prayers? You know, I'm not talking about, you know, I thank God for unanswered prayers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when's the last time that you thank the Lord that He answered your prayer? When's the last time that you went back and said, God, I don't need to ask you for anything today. I just came to thank you. I don't need anything, God. I just want to... Thank you for what you've done. Remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? Be careful, be anxious about nothing. Hey, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What is the direct result of asking and thanking? Not just asking, but thanking. What is the direct result of that? Very next verse. And the peace of God 
which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now that word keep is to guard, to protect. We'll protect your heart and mind when we ask and thank. Not just asking, but also thanking. When's the last time that you thanked him in your asking? Hey, Lord, I just wanted to ask you that you would please answer this prayer for my spouse. God, thank you for giving me a great spouse and, and blessing us and giving us X amount of years together, all the things that you've shown us. But, Lord, will you please do this asking and thanking together? Samuel's parting words, honor the Lord with all your heart. Sounds like Solomon's words in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. See, Samuel lived out his parting words. But can we say that? If we had to give our parting words tonight, could we say that we would live them out? Could we say by our own testimony, the way that we're living right now, are we living out our parting words in our life? Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for... The challenges from Samuel and Saul's lives together, Lord, these two rulers, Lord, that you had put in a very particular place, Lord, for this time period, I ask that you please help us to see that we need to honor you with our lives. Lord, we need to thank you for what you've done. Lord, just as much as we ask, we should also thank Lord, just as much as we write down those prayer requests, we should write down those praises. Lord, just so much as we are uh, committing ourselves and our requests, our needs to you, Lord, help us to commit those uh, prayers of thanksgiving to you. Lord, help our parting words to be a, a positive reflection of our lives. Lord, help our lives to be uh, measure up to our parting words and help those to be positive things, not negative things. Lord, help our testimony to shine forth that our parting words of honoring the Lord and fearing Him and obeying His commandments would be accurate to the way we've been living our lives. Lord, please bless and help us to apply Your truth to our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to go to our prayer time. and Guys are handing out uh, the prayer sheets at this time. We'll go through some of our prayer requests tonight.